From across the globe, from the center of aerospace, and now to you. Thank you for downloading the Aero Society podcast from the Royal Aeronautical Society. Thank you very much indeed. Good evening, uh, ladies and gentlemen. It's a great pleasure to be here, um, especially talking about this topic. Um, and, and indeed a great, great honour. I'm extremely grateful to you, Rob, and to you all. Um, I should start with, with my own housekeeping disclaimer, which is I know absolutely nothing about air law. Um, that's not quite true, actually, because I'm just finishing a book on regulation and compliance and enforcement. And in the process of that, in looking at different sectors, um, I have read uh, quite a lot about uh, the aviation safety management system, which uh, is frankly incredibly impressive. And I wouldn't mind an opportunity to talk to one or two of the airlines later on about exactly what you think of it and in more detail, so as one can get um, get a better better idea of this. I did actually sort of hijack a pilot on the way back from Beijing on Friday, who was terribly nice and gave me a few tips, but told me a few things I want to follow up. Anyway, um, I am an expert, as or claim to be, as Robert said, in um, ADR. And this turns out to be, or rather, um, systems, regulatory systems and liability systems. And ADR as such turns out to be extraordinarily topical and a bit of a surprise. One starts off by taking a very broad overview of consumer law and relationships between consumers and traders. So we're in the area of, of consumer protection, a lot of EU-based legislation, and they're usually uh, contract claims, breach of contract. Um, one leaves on one side, at least for the moment, uh, personal injury claims, therefore tort issues, but they slot in later on. And when one looks at the overview of consumer problems, um, this, is, and this is way, way, way beyond aviation, um, it is true that consumers sometimes have problems with traders. Obviously, compared with the billions of consumer transactions that go on all the time, in fact, they're min minuscule, although governments and um, consumer associations would tend to quote figures which on the face look quite big, but proportionally are pretty small. Um, resolving these disputes, consumer to business disputes, is important for a number of reasons. Firstly, because of upholding the rule of law and access to justice within a decent society and an economy that, that has some basis for functioning. Um, and therefore, in maintaining confidence in the traders, because if traders can, can get away with breaking the law all the time, like rogue builders, whatever, then that is not good. Typically, Consumer trader disputes involve very small sums of money. When one looks, therefore, at how do these things get resolved if they have to get into the legal system, you find very quickly that court systems don't work. Um, the EU and many countries nationally have tried to introduce small claims systems. All the statistics show that um, small claim systems, certainly the cross-border one, are not that attractive. Um, why? Because they suffer from the same problem that any, any other litigation system does. You've got to pay to access it. You've then got the risk of a loser-pays rule. It takes time. You can't do it um, in the evening. You've perhaps got to go and get a lawyer, even though technically under the small claim systems you, do, you don't have to. Um, but if you're dealing with a cross-border small claim, you wouldn't know what on earth to do unless you come across the ECC net. But even then, it's fishing in a very different pond. Um, and the, the whole thing is not actually very attractive. What you really want to do is deal with something online. So in this country, we've got money claims online. We've got personal injuries portal, which is um, getting, getting going. Um, but the other approach from the small claim is the aggregation through class actions. Now, the EU has tried to uh, 
do something on that to simplify things by aggregating them, and I'll refer to that in a minute. But I believe that neither of these two legal techniques actually work. So you start saying, um, what do we do? Well, let's look at something else. Now, ADR we're all familiar with because Lord Wolf, Wolf <laughs> um, nicked it from America where it was relatively new at that stage, and put it into the civil procedure rules in this country. So we all know what that is, because we learnt it you know, 15 or 20 years ago. Um, the EU's picked that up, and it's still a bit of a shock in some countries where it's new. But there's also newer things like consumer ADR, which I refer to as CDR, because it's not alternative at all. It's its own architecture and it's consumer dispute resolution. And I'll explain more of that. And then you've got online dispute resolution, ODR, which is already very, very big out there. And another mechanism which is gaining ground quite quickly from a standing start is regulators and redress. So regulators have now got powers to, for example, tell the banks, pay everyone back. Don't wait for an action, don't wait for a complaint to the ombudsman, pay everyone back. And the, the Danish consumer enforcer does a lot of that. And the, in this country, the, the redress power, which goes back to section 404, I think, of the Financial Services and Markets Act 2000, and was upgraded in 2010, has now just been copied into the energy sector in the, in the Energy Act 2014. So you see, you're going to see regulators getting involved in redress more. Now, let me just, those, those are the sort of broad starting propositions. Let me go through them in turn and just show you a few um, substantiations for them. Um, this uh, statistics um, that were done in the UK relatively recently, that show that most consumer complaints are pretty small amounts of money. You would expect financial-type things to be slightly more, so insurance is actually a 1,000 quid, but most of them are very, very small down the bottom. Transport is the only one that's close to you. Aviation doesn't feature on this list, even. A transport problem, which might obviously be a train or something, uh, usually, is 124. Home maintenance is a problem, but it's still not very big. Now, no one in their right mind is going to sue or, frankly, go through a small claim, in most cases, for those types of problems. Um, so one needs to ground the discussion in quite a lot of reality here. This is an illegible but important statistic from the Council of Europe, um, which, which collected uh, statistics on the length of average court cases in different countries. Now, immediately, you don't want to believe all this, um, because it says at the top that cases in Azerbaijan and the Ukraine and the Russian Federation are, are shorter than anywhere else. <laughs> I wonder why. Um, you, you can see, however, slightly more rationally in the middle, um, if you can read them, but don't worry about the detail, that most of the European um, civilised jurisdictions are in there. But the important thing is on the right, which is the average court uh, procedure is 287 days, and the median is 200 days. Now, just bear those statistics in mind in relation to what ombudsman systems can do. Um, this is, again, slightly illegible, and, but some data that we produced talking to uh, various ombudsmen in a few different countries. And these, I think, are months. Um, so telecoms in France, three months. If you go down the bottom, six months or less. Pensions obviously take a bit more. Um, banks on this one are relatively quick. Um, travel, we got down there, two, two and a half. The, the, they're very general, but the point is the, they're an order of magnitude almost less than courts. Um, this is, uh, again, difficult to read because the original is, is difficult to read, but it's uh, statistics on what did you do, survey of consumers, what did you do when you had a problem? And at the top, it says you made a complaint to the trader. Fine, that's what you, what you should go and talk to first. And that's 67%. After that, you might have gone to a public authority, that's 17%. You then... 5% of people already used some form of ADR. 
which is quite interesting, compared with only 2% of consumers who go to court. Um, so one's, one's seeing quite an interesting gradation there. Again, UK statistics here about, and these are quite recent from the, the um, end of, or, or turn, of the, turn of the year, by, from Citizens Advice, about the type of problems in this country. Second-hand cars are the biggest problem. Home maintenance, again. Telecoms, problems with your service providers. Furniture, and so on. So that's what most people have got. However, on a cross-border basis, if one looks at the statistics that are available from the ECC net offices, and that's a network of consumer helpers in each country, um, coordinated by the European Commission, who assist in transferring claims from one country to another and getting through the national minefields. Their statistics show that transport goes to the top with a third of all claims, and the biggest sector is air transport, including luggage. And that's one in five of all complaints to the ECC net. So, as you might expect, uh, there are some problems there that need to be sorted out. We're not talking, therefore, about a mirage that doesn't exist. There's, there's something here that we need to address it, it, and is worth looking at it. Now, going back to how do we address it, um, the point about class actions. There's been an enormous debate about class actions railing around for years and it sort of came to a head last year when the European Commission issued a recommendation on collective redress. It's called collective redress rather than class actions because um, there's a political decision that we in Europe think that the American version of a class action is highly abusive and unpleasant um, and we don't want it, thank you very much. In case um, it should ever come in, uh, we have put a large list of safeguards and that's, that's the list of things here. Um, there are all sorts of reasons why America is the way it is, but that's another lecture. Um, I'll resist the temptation. But the fact is that um, the Commission now says every member state should have a collective action within two years from last year. About 20 of the 28 member states have already got some form of national collective action. Every one is different. And because they've all got safeguards, and we've got loser pays rules and things like that, and we don't have punitive damages, and we don't have jury trials, almost none of them actually work that much in relation to bringing co extensive collective litigation in the form in which it is found as a phenomenon in the US. So um, on top of that, if you're thinking about an awful lot of small consumer claims, uh, it, it's going to be expensive and complicated to, to have a large, complex legal mechanism like this. And it, there's no surprise that the relatively small number of collective actions that there have been in any country across Europe so far really don't inc include consumer claims to any great extent. There's quite a thriving industry for cartel follow-on damages claims and uh, investors because there's more money involved in cases like that. But those are different animals. So what about something else? What is ADR in the consumer context? Um, and I heard the Commission talking about that uh, five years ago, and I thought, I don't know what they're talking about. So together with my team in Oxford and, and um, Rotterdam, we spent two years running around, um, at that stage, 10 countries. We've done more since interviewing as many consumer ADR bodies as we could find. And there are, we talked to about 100 ombudsmen or uh, arbitration-based consumer ADR bodies. Uh, and this is the blatant plug for, because all the details are in there. This is an incredibly boring book. It just says, <laughs> in, in the Netherlands, the architecture of ADR is like this, and these are the details of how the various systems work. Um, however, out of that, you get an extraordinary amount of ideas and knowledge 
um, about what ought to happen next. Um, so one gets involved in discussions about how every country is, is changing what they are doing because you can say, well, actually, what they do in Sweden is rather good and you could copy that in Lisbon um, and vice versa, or it wouldn't work in your place because. ADR as a phenomenon is quite well known, um, as, as I said, and in fact, the, uh, there's, there's quite a long hierarchy, um, history of um, instruments that have been issued from, from Brussels. Going back to two recommendations on ADR, 1998 and 2000, our European Code of Conduct for Mediators, that anyone who's a mediator will be entirely familiar with here. Um, then we found the Mediation Directive in 2008, um, which just says every home should have mediation. Uh, every legal system should have mediation. So as far as we're concerned, as I said, that, that's just boring. Um, nothing happened here. In Germany, it's a big event because their legal system is quite different from ours. It's very efficient, it's very judge-based, and mediation doesn't actually fit it very well. So the academics have been up in arms for several years saying, what is this animal? Um, who, who are these mediators? We can't trust them, we don't know who they are. They're not judges. Um, they don't deliver justice. You can have some sort of settlement in the middle, whereas a judge says, this is the law in Germany and uh, applies it in every case. And mediation is, is a completely different approach. So, and I can understand that philosophically, although it's rather an amusing debate to look at from a distance. Um, but the big event um, are these two things at the bottom which were passed last year, the directive on consumer ADR and the regulation on ODR. Now, just before we get to that, one should also note that there are quite a few references over time that have appeared in sectoral le regulatory legislation. Um, and they started off going back 10 or 15 years, including uh, a requirement that you ought to have ADR, encouragement. So you can find that in... Um, what have we got here? Distance, marketing, financial services, timeshare, e-commerce, postal services, insurance, MIFID, markets and financial instruments. And then there was a switch in policy, and they said, actually, you've got to have ADR in your sector. It is, it is a requirement. And you can find that in e-commerce, electricity uh, and gas, consumer credit, payment services, and most recently, bus and coach passenger rights which is quite interesting in relation also, of course, to debates on 261. One understands that there is an ongoing and unresolved debate about exactly what 261 might say in its revision about whether you, you in your sector should have ADR or not. But the fact is there's an awful lot out there and there's nothing special about, about a reference to ADR being in a sectoral directive. It's in lots of other sectors already. So, why is ADR so interesting? It's got a number of really quite attractive features. Um, firstly, as far as a dispute resolution system is concerned, it's much more attractive and cheaper than the courts for consumers and businesses. And it takes a while for people to realise this um, because it's such a strange animal when you come across it for the first time. Um, you can, <laughs> the consumer can log on online or ring someone up and it gets fixed pretty quickly. Um, it's really sort of telescoping court procedure into something really quite quick and informal and modern with IT. Um, it's usually free to consumers and this was an enormous surprise when we had gone round interviewing lots of uh, ombudsmen and others. Um, to find just how many systems are in fact paid for by the business sectors. Some are paid for by governments, but the, the clear trend is that all the ADR is, is, is free. That's not completely true, and certainly there are exceptions in this country I'll refer to. Another very big point jumping at the bottom is that it solves the collective 
consumer redress problem because by their very nature, if they are set up properly, good CDR systems, and certainly every ombudsman system I know, can solve mass problems. So you don't need a collective action. They just do it. They are, say, we've got a load like this. We better work out what the right approach is. We might need to talk to people. The thing might need to get referred to court for a ruling on what is the law here. Um, and then we'll just apply it in lots and lots of cases. So they're doing internally exactly what a judge would do in litigation, but an awful lot quicker and more informally. In the middle, there's a very interesting bit. And that is that, unlike court judgments, um, where you, we're all used to this as lawyers, we get a, get a judgment and we spend a lot of time thinking about the implications and all the rest of it, but we don't actually know how many other people are doing the same thing. Well, with good ADR systems, and especially ombudsman systems, all the cases are on, on computer. So you can know exactly who's doing what and what are the problems. So the financial ombudsman does this all the time. And about three, four years ago, they started publishing um, their information. So you'd find out which banks have particular problems and which banks are better than the others if you want to switch accounts. One of the most interesting examples was when I visited the Telecom Authority in Lithuania, who were really impressive, by the way. And they sit round a table regularly with a relatively small number of telecom companies and say, right, well, we've got the complaint data um, and any other data we've got, so we know what's going on. You've been bad. You'd better stop that and pay people back now and tell me when you've done it. You, or several of us, have actually got a new problem. You haven't been bad, it's just a new problem. Um, what are we going to do about it? Let's talk about it. Do we change the rules? Do we actually get in, need to go to Parliament to get a new rule? Do we need to go to the courts to sort these things out? So they've identified the problem very quickly. And everyone knows, because everyone's got the data, I mean, you, you anonymise it so you don't know the individual consumers, but you can find out what's going on in the marketplace. You can also clean up the marketplace from people who shouldn't be trading in it. And um, you raise standards because it's more visible. So from the regulators and government's economic perspective, ombudsmen are not just dispute resolution animals. They're parts of the regulatory system and very powerful if you want to drive growth and economic health. So, bearing those points in mind, the EU vision for CDR is to put in place a comprehensive pan-European system of CDR entities across every member state, covering every type of C2B dispute. It must be free, to, under certain rules, it must be free or minimal cost. All the CDR entities must be um, regulated in order to ensure that they're operating with the same quality. And there are various criteria which are set out here, um, about which, again, with my German academic colleagues, one has a sort of raging argument, um, saying, who are they? How can we trust them? Who are these people? They're private sector judges. Um, but the principles are entirely understandable and go back, you know, to Aristotle. Um, and these are the same principles you'd expect from a judge of, of expertise, independence, impartiality, transparency, effectiveness, fairness, the, the particular terms of liberty and legality are a bit more difficult to explain, so I won't, I won't get into that too much. But diagrammatically, what we end up with is um, a competent authority, or several, in each member state, um, a number, unspecified, of consumer ADR bodies, and then obviously a number of traders, and they belong to one or, or more of these, and consumers can just access them. On the cross-border basis, um, consumer in one member state, trader in another member state, this um, conversation would be facilitated um, and, and the selection of the trader's relevant CDR body would be facilitated by an ODR platform that exists notionally above Brussels and it just bounces things off and can be used as an online 
um, form and procedure between the two. So the CDR directive has to be implemented by July next year, and the governments are all thinking about what they do in their own countries in order to get full, full coverage. Um, and uh, the Commission is, is pretty close to announcing and trialling uh, its ODR platform. It's slightly ahead of its, of its own target, and that would come into formally into effect six months after, um, in other words, the end of, end of the year. Um, but they hope to get it up before then. Um, one or two countries are uh, really quite fast. Belgium has put in place its own national ODR platform um, a year or more ago, and that's it, called BelMed, as in Belgian mediation. Um, and interesting point here, that it's got an in, a strong in consumer information bit, with a lot of screens behind this, in the red box. And then um, various sectors you can click through to and dispute resolution bits in, in the blue box. So c providing information is quite important and it solves a lot of problems. I'll come back to that. Now, what we are actually doing, although the Commission would not want to say this publicly, but I will, is that we're actually shifting an awful lot of very small, very simple consumer disputes out of the courts and lawyers. <laughs> when I say out of, they're not there because we've got an access to justice problem with most of them. They're just not brought. So we're solving it by shifting them into a modern IT-based system called consumer dispute resolution. And this is going to evolve over time. You can't do it overnight. Um, and therefore, this directive, like all European directives, is merely a step on the way. It's really very important, very big step, but it's not the final step. It's perfectly clear. And come back in five years' time and fix a few other things. So all the answers are not in the current legislation. In particular, what they're saying is, we'll have the architecture, we'll set it up. So we'll have lots of bodies and they'll be regulated. But at the moment, traders are not obliged to participate. That's, that's quite clear. You don't have to use it. Um, you can say, sorry, don't want to. Um, I don't want to join a scheme or I don't want to resolve this particular dispute in that way. If you do join, you've got an information obligation about telling the consumers which scheme you're involved with so that that can be above board and you can access it. But you don't have to res resolve any dispute at the moment. The member states, of course, have to put the architecture in place. Um, but what I am clearly seeing is that in the process of creating that architecture, certainly in this country, quite a number of existing CDR systems are being modernized and shifted. Um, and a, a surprising number of sectors are joining in voluntarily with the intention of making it all work. So I wouldn't be at all surprised, uh, but of course this is speculation, um, if, for example, the, the broad general retail sector, members of the British Retail Consortium, were not to join one of the existing ombudsman schemes um, before long for example. And that would be a very big shift. Exactly what would happen in uh, home improvements and plumbers and things like that, I'm not so sure just yet. But um, things are moving. You can feel the tectonic plates shifting. When one looks at the CDR systems that exist across different countries, you can see historical evolution in them. So if one starts from the paradigm of courts where you've got rather institutionalised procedural justice requirements, um, obviously arbitration is actually a form of ADR because it's not court. And the consumer ADR systems that have existed 40 years or so, even more ago, in some countries are arbitration models, which in Spain you go to your local regional um, 
consumer arbitration body, and it will be dealt with by a panel of three arbitrators. That's actually a bit slow and efficient, in, in, inefficient. Um, the Nordic ones, consumer complaint boards, are a bit more efficient, but they operate on the same Nordic, uh, sorry, arbitration model. The Netherlands have a slightly different system. We've got a lot of codes in this country in different sectors, um, most of which are start off with negotiation and then go into arbitration, and most of which are outsourced and administered by CEDA. Um, and the list, the, the CEDA have got about 100 of these schemes, including ABTA, a, a very long established and extremely successful um, CDR scheme. Um, the National Association of Funeral Directors, uh, nice one. Timeshare, European Timeshare Organisation, NHBC, Tenancy Deposits, moving. Family Mosaic, not sure what that is. Motor codes with SMMT, the um, motor manufacturers, and so on. Um, so the arbitration model or the mediation arbitration model is, is well known. The odd one out here is France, um, which has said we don't want any independent uh, ombudsman, thank you very much. Actually, they've got a couple, especially in energy, who's very good. And he's fighting a really difficult and soul-destroying battle against the general French view that all mediation can be dealt with in-house. So they appoint incredibly well-paid senior mediateurs in the top of a number of, say, energy companies, um, who simply do, who, who maintain vociferously that they are independent, but whose credibility is absolutely zilch. Um, of course you need in-house customer complaint handling first, but that's what it is. That is not an external ADR or ombudsman system. However, I'd be delighted if the French continue with their remarkably stupid fashion because it means that their economy won't improve. Um, now, some countries, and Germany is an example, but of course there are one or two here with the CAA and Ofcom, have got complaint systems in ministries or regulators. That usually, and CAA I think is an, is an exception to this, that usually doesn't work well. And the German energy um, regulator, for example, the Bundesnetzagentur, um, they're not well known. Um, they don't really encourage any of these things. They deal with them in, internally in a very slow arbitration style manner, and it just doesn't work. Um, the numbers are tiny. The mo most modern model, I think, is the ombudsman. Now, you've got different types of ombudsman. One should distinguish public sector ombudsmen, like in this country, the parliamentary, PHSO and NHS, and the local government ombudsman, um, from various types of private sector. Some are established by statute, like the financial ombudsman and the legal ombudsman and the pensions ombudsman, and they raise money by statute by levies on the companies that are sometimes raised by, through the regulator rather than the ombudsman direct. And under their rules, a decision is technically only a recommendation. It's not binding, so it's not arbitration. But if uh, the consumer accepts it, then um, the, it's binding on the bank or whatever. Now, you've also got, more recently, some private sector ombudsmen, such as the one for telecoms and energy and green deal and intellectual property and one or two other things. And they're paid on a contractual basis with the particular trade association or big company like BT. Um, and they just handle outsourced independent complaints. And, and all of these models are, work basically well, as technically, as far as I can see. Not all of the CDR models, but quite a lot of them, really use this pyramid of techniques. So you start off, under virtually every system, having direct negotiation or contact discussion between consumer and trader. And you've got to allow that to happen, and you've got to have a rule that says you can't 
go on to someone else too quickly. Um, in order to allow, to allow sufficient time for the trader to respond and get its act together. Um, you then go, if say you go into an ombudsman system, um, the first thing they do is, is triage. <laughs> Have we got jurisdiction? Is it, somewhat, is it another ombudsman? Um, have you, in fact, not contacted the trader? Um, do not pass go, and so on. Or it's a complicated problem, so therefore the case handler would boot it upstairs to someone more senior. Um, and at that stage, there would be conciliation, stroke negotiation, or stroke mediation. Um, and then, ultimately, you would get to a decision. And as I say, the systems vary as to whether they're binding by law or binding through arbitration agreement or just uh, advisory. Quite a lot of the Nordic systems are just advisory, but because the Nordics are nice people and law-abiding, the, um, the adherence rate is remarkably high in most sectors. In the banks, it's very high. Plumbers, less so. Um, you've got different national architectures then, and the, the CDR directive does not attempt to harmonise these. That would be too difficult and would be a bad idea at the moment. Um, so might there be harmonisation in future? I really don't know, uh, and I don't think it matters. It's not very important. What you want is for these things to work. Um, how should governments fill in the gaps well, you've got quite a few options, especially when you look at different countries. But this is also an opportunity that the several governments are thinking, and certainly this government in this country, to reform the landscape. And remember that um, both this government and its predecessor, New Labour, have done quite a lot to reform the consumer landscape with fixing the RFT uh, into the CMA, um, the banking regulators, different problem, but, but they did it, um, and trading standards reorganisation and various things like that, and also consumer advice going into citizens' advice. So they've done a lot of reorganisation in order to make it simpler, cheaper, more clear for everyone. Where do you go for advice? Well, first portal ought to be citizens' advice, but that might evolve now. You can also use this as, as being an opportunity for modernisation of the systems themselves and for wider reform of legal systems. If you were sitting in a country that had absolutely no CDR systems, and it's, say, a small Central European country, you might just create one national CDR body. Um, what's more likely to happen is that you've got this sort of model, which is the Nordics. So they've got a few, but not too many, um, sectoral CDR bodies for financial services, insurance, um, sorry, banking insurance, telecoms, uh, energy. And those are paid for by the particular sector, the trade association. And on top, they've got a very impressive national body that covers everything. It could cover some of the vertical bits if people want it to, but it covers everything else. And they've got full coverage. So all the Nordic countries have had this for 40 years, and they've also got personal injury compensation schemes. No one goes to court on anything on a consumer claim in the Nordic countries. They never have. Slightly extraordinarily, their tort law and other things therefore don't develop. But they just don't do it because these work, they're very quick and they're cheap. They could be better, mind you. But anyway, Netherlands has got a, a very impressive system that it's also built up over 40 years, although it's difficult to replicate um, in other countries. And that is that they've got actually nearly 60 now of these sectoral ADRs, which are arbitration-based and therefore a bit old-fashioned. They, they're only just introducing mediation into it um, because they say it costs too much, which is rather amusing. Um, but each of these 60 sectors has got the same model, and everyone knows what it is because they're all administered by one remarkably efficient single national unit. 
called Geskillenkommissie, Stichting, forgive my Dutch. Um, financial services are actually on one side. But it's, you, the point about these is you've got clarity and people know um, what the system is and where to go and it's pretty comprehensive. UK and Germany, the UK's got quite a lot of vertical sectors that are already covered. Germany, not many so far. So just thinking about the UK, we've got two sorts, as I say. We've got quite a few, usually CEDA-administered sectoral ones, and we've got the more recent ones that are either statutory or private sector ombudsman. So we're going to have to fill in the gaps. Now, my guess is that um, BIS will uh, issue a tender for um, creating a residual CDR to scope up everything else that isn't covered. Um, and I wouldn't mind betting who it will go to, but I shouldn't say that in public. It'll go to one of the existing um, big players. And um, there will also be some modernization in the systems and some pulling together of the existing schemes. So actually we've got far more than half a dozen of these. We've, we've got maybe 150 if you look at it, and that's too many, and they're different. So what we need to do is to pull them together. Now, I don't think it'll be in a manifesto next time round, but there are moves to try and do this, because it would help. There are economies of scale to be made and simplicities with everyone thinking, actually, if you've got a problem, talk to the trader and then talk to the ombudsman. Simple. And that's the very, very easy message one wants to um, instill, or at least the government, I think, wants to instill in, in consumers' minds in about two years' time. Most interesting, though, jumping back, that if you look at the claim statistics, how far we've already got. These are the county court claim statistics that have fallen pretty consistently just from 2000. Um, with about 2 million total claims to 1.4 million at the moment. The trend is continuing to go down. And these are the small claims statistics that were never all that impressive and are going down to about 30,000 now. Compare that with a very considerable rise in what the ombudsmen are doing. Because the ombudsmen are much more visible than a lot of the sectoral ADR claims, say motor vehicles, it's a very good scheme, or ABTA, it's a very good scheme. ABTA's got higher recognition of those schemes, but the motor vehicles and the, and the funeral directors are not very visible. Um, these are 2010 statistics, and they've already more than doubled. So the financial ombudsman, which is a slightly unusual case because of payment protection insurance, uh, now has two and a half million contacts a year that turn into half a million actual complaints. Now that's an unusual artifact and everyone expects it to go down and most of these claims are driven by people who shouldn't be there like claims farmers that are just out for their own money. Quite a few of them are, are, are consumer abuse or fraudulent. Um, but the other point to notice here is, is the point I mentioned earlier that actually the triage stage is quite important although it says redirected cases, it's ones we can't handle because they're not our jurisdiction, but it's also consumer advice in solving problems. And, and the number of real disputes is quite small. So one's having to pay for a certain amount of unnecessary work in you should go to another ombudsman that we ought to be able to solve if we got more ombudsman and complete coverage. But the advice function is very important indeed. So looking at the statistics, as I said, you know, the numbers in county court are, are now 1.4 million across the whole country, all types of claims, in, bigger than just consumer. And that would include um, business, small business debts and things like that. And the ombudsmen are already going up quite significantly in all sectors. Now, let's think something very big. What I think is going to happen is, is this. It's another sequence of bars. Starting at the left, a couple of months ago, the parliamentary um, 
the Public Administration Standing Committee issued two reports on public sector complaints and the Parliamentary Ombudsman and Local Government Ombudsman and said, we need to modernise these. Um, and, they, and they do, because the PHSO is pretty hopeless in, in that you remember the rule, you can only go to the PHSO if you go through an MP, which is daft, and they, can, they will take certain cases only if they want to. So there's a vast amount of pressure that one could put on public administrative bodies to improve the way they do things that is not being brought to bear. Um, the Cabinet Office is definitely behind all this, and is, it's, Mr. Letwin is currently doing a review. So you can see a situation before too long within which the Ombudsman function in the public sector would get quite significantly extended in this country. You then look at the next pillar, which is consumer services. And so I, that's the one I've been talking about. You see a situation with its consumer ADR and consumer Ombudsman will become big and well-known. There's a related proposal, we've got a book coming out on this, um, hopefully by the end of the year, saying, well, what's the ADR equivalent in relation to personal injuries? A lot of road traffic claims, uh, workplace injury claims, NHS. You could do away with NHS litigation authority and save 250 million on lawyers a year, which could go back into healthcare. Um, and product liability claims involving drugs and implants, if you had an ombudsman-style compensation scheme with an investigative ombudsman at the front and insurance at the back. And guess what? That's what the Nordics do. That's the other bit. They've been doing that for 40 years. New Zealand has had a compensation scheme since the 1970s, um, very broadly based. So you begin to think, okay, so what do we do in family employment, commercial... And, and I haven't got any clever ideas on commercial, I should immediately say. So, <laughs> commercial lawyers shouldn't get worried. Um, but you see a really different possible vision of, um, of a legal system that, that could happen really quite quickly. And implanting the idea, you've got a problem, sort it out with go and talk to your person, and then go and talk to the ombudsman. Don't think I want to talk about that too much. Now, these slides are with the kind consent of, of Christoph Berlin, who is in effect, um, I'm sure some of you know him, the aviation ombudsman within SUP, which is the transport ombudsman in Germany. He's relatively recent and have only, has only been in existence since 2009, um, modelled on the previous um, uh, only existing ombudsman model in Germany, which is insurance, which was created by its own sector. And um, perfectly straightforward procedure. I don't think we need to go through that. It's a bit sort of old-fashioned, to be perfectly honest, but it works pretty well. And his statistics at the bottom are um, acceptance of a conciliation proposal is 80%, which is pretty good compared with a number of other mediation systems. Um, he quotes these with his tongue-in-cheek um, about the responses by the airline to the suggestion, well, why don't you come and join us, um, a, a year or so ago, saying ADR is too expensive, it lacks expertise, it's biased, it's in the consumer's favour, it's not necessary. And then, of course, as I'm sure you know, the German parliament um, passed a law saying you've got to join an ADR and there was then an enormous rush uh, and almost everyone joined all these certainly a few months ago. So quite a big shift. And um, he then says actually everyone was very surprised because they say we have to admit your conciliation proposals are well balanced and not only considering the consumer's perspective. My boss said we should get more cases to SIP. If a passenger is not satisfied, we suggest conciliation of SIP. We're impressed by the expertise. How can we get more passengers to contact SIP? Shift. It's an unknown animal, but it actually is one you can trust. Um, and passengers also show their merits, even if you, that he rejects their complaint. Thank you very much. You've explained the background. I now understand it. That's fine. Um, I... I'm content. Um, 
etc., etc. Now, believe me, I've heard this so many times in other sectors where people say, what's this? And then they join it. And then consumers actually adhere more. In, in, other, in other sectors, certainly, say, communications or general consumer trading. The ombudsman know that they've got to do a good job because if they do, even if the consumer's complaint is rejected, it's more likely the consumer will come back to the same supplier. So adherence is really surprisingly strong because they were listened to, they were taken seriously, irrespective of the outcome. And it could be, look, actually, you, the facts are all wrong, you've got a crap case, go away. And, but if you say that politely, it works. So these are really quite powerful in sort of defusing situations. Um, this is information that was collected together by the, the legal um, services consumer panel recently in their response to the biz consultation. And you can see that different um, schemes cost different amounts of money. The two biggest here are pensions and the legal ombudsman. And they have to investigate things and they've got to look at files and take time to do it. So it's going to cost them a bit to do that. Um, whereas um, the FOS is the second one in, but the interesting two to compare, the third one from the left is one of the private communications ombudsmen and the one on the right is the CEDA ADR based consume, other communications scheme. And they can do it very easily. Um, in fact, the, the one on the left, the, the, the telecom ombudsman, as he's called, um, aims to respond to most of his complaints and deal with them within 48 hours. And he's very proud of the fact that there was one last year when someone rang up and saying this company's being, being a pig, um, they're completely wrong. And he said, OK, leave it. Oh, his handler said leave it with me, knew exactly who to ring in the company, um, said, look, pull this up on screen, sort this out. Oh, yeah, we cocked up. Exchange of information, fixed, 27 minutes. Did I hear 287 days from court? You know, just done, very informal, fixed. Um, these are the big questions, then. You are unusual in your sector because the CAA has got a, a complaints function um, and operates it, in, in, if I may say so, impressively and well. Um, if I were a government, I would want to cut it um, as a matter of public expenditure. But this is a golden opportunity to outsource and um, fix the landscape. Um, should you join one? You don't have to. But if I'm right that within a very short time, the whole legal system is going to change and everyone would be thinking, expecting a trader to belong, this ought to be thought about, shouldn't it, at the very least? Say no more than that. Um, what do you do about different models? Do we do mediation arbitration model or do we do ombudsman model? Well, I'm going to stick my neck out on this. I think the CEDA systems are technically absolutely fine and perfect. But I think they're a bit old-fashioned, and I think the ombudsman model is um, overall better for a, a number of reasons. Um, some of those reasons are to do with visibility and accountability of the ombudsman and trust in the ombudsman. The, fin the financial ombudsman has done some interesting research that shows that <laughs> it's revealing this. Um, consumer trust in the word ombudsman is actually really quite high at the moment, 80% or higher. And the, the FOS is, is the best known because of all the banking problems. But if they test <laughs> the audience reaction to the term financial ombudsman, it goes down because the banks have got such a bad reputation. So if you notice, on all financial ombudsman marketing in the past year or so, they say financial ombudsman. Um, but I think that if, if one wants from the governmental perspective to pull the landscape together, to have a smaller number of people, and, and I think that one or two of the players will, will pick up a lot of sectors, 
uh, they will gravitate towards them. So as, say, Ombudsman Services does at the minute, he, he handles five, six different specialist areas with specialist teams. It's not a problem, as long as you've got the expertise in the house. And you can get economies of scale, you can get people with interesting career paths moving around, and so on. But you also get the regulatory information out of those systems more than you do out of an arbitration-based system. Should joining CDR be mandatory? Well, it isn't yet. We'll have to see. You get involved in um, interesting legal arguments about Article 6 of ECHR. Um, what about adherence? Well, as I said, financial, legal, pensions, ombudsman is by law in this country. The government could do that at any stage. Probably doesn't need to, because most people who've joined actually want it to work. So unless there's a really good reason um, for actually not implementing a decision, which may well cost you money if you've got to argue about it in, in court subsequently or get banned publicity, it's just best to forget it if it's a small amount of money. Obviously, points of principle, you want to design the system that they can be taken out and debated in the, in the right forum. Um, how should CDR be funded? Well clear trend is business has got to do this. And this is a, a, a macroeconomic policy point, that that's the way we're going with all public and private services. Should it be free to consumers? Most of them are already. That's a clear trend. So um, the, some of the CEDA-based ones make people pay. And I've heard it said, say by AMTA, that actually if, if a consumer has got to put some money up, it actually helps them sort out what it is they're claiming, which is always helpful as a funnel effect. But I think the Ombudsman system can do that as effectively. Um, another really interesting question is if we're shifting the legal system away from lawyers and courts and small claims towards these CDR systems. Is this an opportunity actually to look at some of the substantive rules? What does it tell us about how we would write a revision of 261 if we're not thinking in terms of courts? Now, I haven't thought that through, but I'd be interested to see what you think about that um, because I think it arises in quite a number of different contexts. And, and there are various philosophical points about uh, ombudsman decisions being based on fairness as well as the legal rules. One important point I would like to make clear is that you may well um, be concerned about this new animal of CDR and ombudsmanry and all the rest of it because it's new to your sector. Believe me, that is entirely normal um, and I've seen it in quite a few other sectors. But the next point is, um, I would really suggest that you don't need to reinvent wheels here. And you don't necessarily need to feel that you've got to control it because it's new, because there's a whole system you can just plug into. And you, you can get a lot of credibility and reputation, as well as saving a lot of money, by doing exactly that. So I would say don't be worried about it, because it, it can in quite a number of commercial ways work to your advantage. Um, overall, this is perhaps more of a political message, but I would, I would maintain these messages as a sort of an independent legal scientist. CDR is a technique that I actually believe is good for consumers and traders and markets and economic prosperity. I also think it's here to stay. Yes, it's revolutionary, but it will expand. <coughs> Um, and it raises, raises a challenge to a number of companies about how they're going to respond to ensuring high levels of consumer care. Now, um, I'm not making that point about your sector because I think most people are extremely good in, in your sector, if I may say so. Um, there's, a, there's a broader is regulatory issue here. Final comment. Um, last week, I was in Beijing with a European commissioner who's responsible for this directive, telling the Chinese about it. The Chinese are very interested. They want a market economy. They need regulators. They need courts, which they've got. 
but they know they need ADR and they need Ombudsman. So they are thinking about what do we do. The obvious model is the European model. Um, the obvious model in financial services is the UK Financial Ombudsman Service. They're interested in it for e-commerce, for which, of course, there's a lot of ODR that exists anyway. They're interested in it for financial services, but they're interested in travel, tourism and business travel. Now, if you had a system that is pan-European and a system that is Chinese, and they were pretty similar and could talk to each other, I suggest that that might be good for business in your sector, as, as well as good, good for passengers. Very interesting question that one shouldn't necessarily, and I should have said this earlier, look at these issues just on a country-by-country -country basis, because I can't see why you should need 28 different ADR systems, one in each country. That is a waste of money. Your sector in particular could show a lead here, because the banks haven't yet, as far as I know, in actually saying, well, we don't need 28, we need a smaller number, whether it's one or two or three. Um, and that would save you money, but give quite high visibility and reputational hits, I suggest. Okay, quite a lot, but there we are. I'd be very happy to um, answer questions. Thank you. From across the globe, from the centre of aerospace, and now to you. Thank you for downloading. Visit www.aerosociety.com to download more from this series and other multimedia content from the Royal Aeronautical Society. If you enjoyed this content, please consider showing your support for the Society. Share a link to this presentation by email or on your favourite social networks. If you have an interest in aerospace, consider the professional and personal benefits of membership. Visit www.aerosociety.com. This content is provided subject to our website and digital media terms of use. Please visit www.aerosociety.com for more information.